to Matthew, (laughs) to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are here on the pinnacle of the mountain. It was a long climb, but we have reached it. We've already covered the first four verses of chapter 8. Let's read those four verses again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now as we continue on this morning in verses 5 through 11, it's important that we go back here and remember and follow Paul's thought. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Those last three words of verse of verse one are so important because that is the only place there is no condemnation is in Christ Jesus. But why? Why is there no condemnation in Christ? Well, Paul tells us, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin. For God, you ought to underline those two words right there. For God did, has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, it's important we remember that the law is holy and righteous and good. When Paul says the law weakened by the flesh, it's my flesh that's weak. It's we who are the problem, not the law. The law is good. The law is holy. But God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, the law was given by God was a good thing. The law exposes our sin. The law tells me who I am. Have you ever wondered why in our world today there is such a big deal being made over not having the Ten Commandments posted in a public place? The world hates that. You know why? Because it exposes who they are. Every one of us has broken those commandments. All of them. Not just one, but all of them. We're all guilty of this. The law exposes my sin. And the law says, because you cannot obey me, you're going to die. God says, because you cannot obey my law, my wrath will be poured out on you. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and uh, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right. Now, the last part of verse four right there in the, pa the, 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 the passage we're going to look at this morning. Paul is carrying that thought on who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Look at verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, verses 5 through 14 are most important to us today as we consider them from the perspective of, of the weakness and the need of the church in this present time. Listen, there, there is a, a, a teaching out there that's known as easy believism. All right. You want to be saved? Just walk down the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, say a prayer. He'll dunk you in the water and you're saved. Not, by the way. It's not how it works. We have a mistaken but popular misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian in our day. Listen, when you and I, I was thinking the other day when I was preparing this message, when I worked out here at Texas Instruments in Sherman, I remember I was talking with this guy, and it's interesting because uh, you can be around people all the time outside the church, and they'll interact with you, they'll talk with you, and all of that. And but the the minute they find out, not that you're a Christian, but that you're a preacher, oh, their whole attitude changes. All of a sudden, they start making excuses for all the things they've said, for the things they've done in front of you. And I remember talking with this one guy out there, and he was telling me, uh, he said, oh, well, he, he, he was telling me about his boss there at TI, and he called him some very choice names. And, and uh, he was standing there at my desk, and he happened to look and saw my Bible. And he said, oh, you read that? I said, yeah. I said, I preach it, too. And he said, oh. He said, look, I didn't really mean that about my boss. <laughs> And I said, he said, you know, I go to church every Sunday. I asked him where he went to church, and he told me. And um, I said, well, who's the pastor over there? He said, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's um, you know, what's his name? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I don't go there. But he didn't know who he was. What I'm getting to is this. He told me, he said, you know, he said, when I was about seven years old, I went to vacation Bible school. And I remember the preacher said, everybody wants to be saved, raise your hand. He said, and I raised my hand. And the preacher told me, he said, okay, you're saved. He said, I'm, he said, I'm what you know as a carnal Christian. And I said, here's the thing. There's no such thing. There's only two kind of people. Those that are lost, and those that are saved. That's it. There is nobody in between. But this idea of this carnal Christian, uh, it has become um, the death blow. There will be many a carnal Christian who will walk into the hell. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, all of them will. 
Because a carnal Christian is nothing but an unsaved man. And this is what Paul here, uh, we, it, it, this dangerous doctrine of the carnal Christian teaches us that we can be careless about our Christianity, that you can do very little for God, that you can achieve nothing for God in this life, but when you die, you get to walk right on into heaven. And I want to tell you something, folks. Don't be deceived in believing that, because it is not true. The hardest person... To reach with the gospel is a person who believes they're saved when they're really not. And I want to tell you today, our churches are full of these people. I love what Paul Washer has said. I, it's not my responsibility to tell you you're saved. That's God's job. It's my responsibility to tell you how to get saved. But if you come to me and say, am I saved? I'm going to look at you and say, I don't know, are you? But Paul says, here's how you can know. Here's how you can know who you are. There's only two classes of people. And in our passage, Paul sets forth those who walk according to the flesh. Now, when he talks about those who walk, when he uses the word flesh, he's talking about our carnal sinful nature. That old man that we used to be, that old person, the, the, the sinful flesh that we are. You know, have you ever heard somebody, there's two sayings that are very popular in our world today is, number one, people will say, well, God knows my heart. And that ought to scare them to death. Because God says your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And the other is, only God can judge me. That ought to scare them even more. Because he will. But they have this idea that you can live like the world and still be saved. And, and Paul here, uh, he, he's talking about the sinful man, a man apart from the regenerating and transforming work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And what ta Paul is talking about uh, here is the difference between those who are actually in Christ and those who are not. Because you see, if you go all the way back to verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, but that's for a specific people, those who are in Christ Jesus. Is it important this morning for you to know whether or not you are in Christ? Yes, it is. It's very important, and we have to deal with this. Uh, Paul uh, here, he is not talking about a a carnal Christian who is supposed to be beyond a low state of commitment to become a more serious disciple. There is an erroneous teaching out there that you can make Christ your Savior, but not your Lord. That's impossible, by the way. Because I want to tell you something, folks. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you believe He is or not. He is Lord. And so we must understand that the unsaved person, Paul here gives us some characteristics of them. Uh, these verses uh, in 5 through 8, they define the unbeliever in four important ways. Number one is thinking. Now, I am amazed, and, and I've mentioned this to you, on our, on our Wednesday night study on holiness, and then my Sunday morning preaching on Romans, the two have just gone together. And that was not my, by my design. That was by God's design. So that, that, just, that just fascinates me how God works that way. 
So we've been talking a lot on Wednesday night in our holiness study and in our th th this morning. What you think is so important. What goes into your mind? How do you think? Do you think according to the flesh or do you think according to the spirit? Um, the unbeliever, his basic disposition is to satisfy the cravings of his unsaved self. What matters to you? What do you think about? You know, uh, Dr. Uh, Derek Thomas, I, I know I keep bringing this up, but it's just so fascinating to me. Dr. Derek Thomas, in his study on Ligonier of Romans chapter 8, when he gets to these verses, he, he asks the first time, never forget the first time we watched that. He said something that just blew my mind. He said, here's the thing. What do you think about when you don't think about anything at all? When you don't have a job or a book or a TV or whatever to focus your mind and you're just sitting and just relaxing. What is the default position of your mind? What does it go to? Does it go to the things of the flesh or does it go to the things of the spirit? It's easy for us to think about God when we're sitting in church. But you know what? It's not so easy to think about God when you're sitting in a dentist chair. Although I've done a lot of praying there. <laughs> Paul is a great example of what he's talking about. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. Here, in, in Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, he, he's, he's presenting to them where he was in, in conjunction to where he is now. And in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says this is what he was. Uh, this is the portrait of a moral man. Paul was a religious man. Keep in mind that when Paul was going out and he was breathing out threatenings against the church and he was persecuting the church and he was having them thrown into prison, Paul thought he was working for God. You know, God, aren't you so proud of me? Look what I'm doing for you. This was Paul's mindset. And, and he, it's a portrait of a moral man, but one whose mind was set on the sinful desires of himself, trying to prove himself to God. Uh, trying to prove that he was worthy of God's favor, trying to show that he could earn his way into heaven. You can't, by the way. I don't care how many churches you belong to. I don't care how many services you go to. I don't care how many Bibles you own. I don't care how much scripture you memorize. That will not get you into heaven. Faith in Christ is the only thing that gets us into heaven. And this is Paul is saying, but you see the unbeliever, the, the, the person who has thinking on the flesh, they, they don't see this. Uh, nothing is so characteristic of the thinking of a believer than this delusion that God's proud of me. God's lucky to have me. 
This church is lucky to have me. What would you do without me? Now, you know, I'm being, I'm not really asking you. I don't want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> but you see, the thinking, what do you think about? And, and keep in mind, and, and I keep saying this over and over. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, you've heard this a million times. You're going to hear it some more. Listen, folks, in the, this world, as Tim talked about last week, do not be conformed to this world. This world wants to squeeze us into its mold. You know how it does that? Music, television, movies, YouTube, all these things, Facebook, all these things. We have to be careful. And I'm not saying don't watch TV. You know, if it was up to my wife, we would not even have one. And I told her, as soon as the Cowboys no longer play, we'll get rid of our TV. <laughs> but we have to be careful what we watch. We have to be careful what we listen to. Be careful what you put into your mind. When Paul said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that when you become a believer in Christ, you have to unlearn a lot of things? and begin to learn a lot of new things. And so what is our mind? What is the default position of your mind when you don't think about anything at all? When, when, when somebody, you know, somebody wrongs you, somebody says something to you that's hurtful or rude, what's your immediate reaction? When you find out... <laughs> Someone you trusted has turned away from you. What's your reaction? And Paul says, look, when you begin to think in the flesh, you're going to react according to the flesh. What does the flesh do? The, 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 the flesh wants to retaliate. The flesh wants revenge. But you remember what Peter said about Jesus? He said when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When they were pulling out his beard, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to remember who you are. He didn't say that. When they arrested him there in the garden and Peter took it, he cut off Malchus' ear. And Jesus picked it up and put it back. <laughs> you know, I often wonder through the years if Malchus, if his ear ever itched and he reached up there and for a minute held there and said, hey, <laughs> I remember what happened. But you see, what, what is the, the default thinking of our mind? Look at verse 6 in, in chapter 8. Paul says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Is death. Paul here is speaking about spiritual death. He's talking about eternal death. Uh, there, there, there's no interest. There's no understanding in the scriptures. You've heard me say this many, many times, folks. You show me a, a person who's a church member who, who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and someone who tells me, you know, I really don't have any desire to be holy. I really don't have any desire in learning the Scriptures. And I'll show you someone that's a liar. And what they're lying about, by the way, is being a Christian. Because Paul says that... To set the mind on the flesh is death. Do you know what death does? Do you know what death desires? Nothing. Do you know how death reacts? It doesn't. You know why? Seriously. Really? What is it? It's dead. 
And Paul says to set the mind on the flesh is death. Doesn't say it will be death. He says it is death. Several years ago, there was a man from a cult who wrote a book called Millions Now Living Will Never Die. And there was a man in the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist preacher. He wrote a book and said, millions now living are already dead. And he was right. Millions now living are already dead. So Paul says that uh, to set your mind on the flesh is death. Look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We see that the unsaved have a religion. Did you know that? They have a religion. Uh, because they do not submit to God's law, they, they are hostile to Him. And they try to construct a religion that will protect themselves from Him. Do we not see this in our world today? Listen, let me tell you something. How many of you have seen these commercials on TV? My mind just went blank. Jamie, you mentioned it the other night. He gets us. Anybody seen that? I want to tell you, folks, it is demonic underneath. Not on the surface. It looks like, hey, this Jesus is a pretty cool guy. He gets me. But I want to tell you something. Behind this, we're trying to find a way. We're trying to find a way that God will let me live in my sin, but yet be saved. We've been trying to do it from the very beginning. By the way, we will try to do that till the end. But guess what? It will never, ever work. It will never. Let me, but let me tell you what's behind this thing that we just talked about. He gets us. There is a, a movement going on in three of the top denominations in the world. Southern Baptist Convention, the Methodists, and the Presbyterians. That we need to, and, and they're not saying they need to do this, they're doing this, okay? We need to reach out to the homosexual community. We need to bring them into the church. We need to baptize them. We need to ordain them. We need to put them in positions of leadership with the ultimate goal that they will see the love of God and get saved. That is the most incredibly stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. You realize that? But you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to say, God, let me sin, but I want you to still love me and bless me. And God says, I'm not going to do that. And they're going to find out. But the lost, he, Paul says, for the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's will. It will not commit uh, submit to God's will. They're trying to construct a religion that will protect them from God. And then we see in verse 8, the one whose mind is set on the flesh, his present condition. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Just a very simple statement Paul makes right there. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He doesn't say they don't want to. He doesn't say they have a hard time doing it. He says they cannot do it. Turn with me to Psalm 7. Psalm 7. 
this is this is um, this is contrary what the word of God says here to what is being taught and preached in most churches today. Psalm 7 verses 11 through 16 <clears throat> God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared him for his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Do you know what those verses basically say? Those verses basically say that God is angry with the wicked every day. He is angry with the wicked every day. We have this idea that we go out and we tell people God loves you just the way you are. That's lie number one. God accepts you just the way you are. That's lie number two. And God has a wonderful plan for your life, and that's lie number three. And do you realize that when we go out and we tell, and, and we do it with good intentions, but you know what they say about good intentions, where that road leads? When we go out and we do this to tell the unbeliever that God loves them the way they are, that he accepts them the way they are, that he has a wonderful life, uh, plan for them the way they are, is not only unbiblical, it does a grave disservice to the lost. Paul Washer tells about when he, he says, you go up to somebody and say, hey, God loves you. And I say, hey, I love me too. God accepts you. What a surprise. I accept me. And God has a wonderful plan for your life. So do I. Me and God are on the same page. See how that works? But the psalmist said, I want to tell you something. God is angry with the wicked every single day. We must look into our own hearts. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you don't think about anything at all, what do you think about? Where does your mind go? Do you have a love for God? Do you have a love for the Scriptures? Do you have a love of holiness? Do you recognize that God does not and will not love or accept you the way you are? He can't. You know why? Because we are sinful beings. We go back to chapter 7. What did Paul say? Paul says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Nothing. But then Paul gives some characteristics of the true believer. Go back to verse 5. Look at the last part of verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The Christian is one who has been born again. As a result, uh, his or her mind is set on what the Spirit of God desires. 
Let me tell you what the Spirit of God desires more than anything else. It's a requirement, by the way. This is not optional. That we be holy. Holy. The writer to the Hebrews says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This takes us back to verse 4 when Paul says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you want the righteous requirements of the law to be fulfilled in your life? Your mind must be set on the things of God. Your mind must be set on the things of the Spirit. In verse, the last part of verse 6 he says, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We are made alive by God's Spirit. We have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified, we now have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? There are many who are sitting in churches today and they're saying, peace, peace. But then will come sudden destruction. And by the way, we have this idea that delayed judgment is no judgment. Paul says they've been made alive. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the very fullest extent. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, and have it abundantly, he didn't mean you're going to be rich. He didn't mean you're never going to be sick. He meant when you die, you're going to spend eternity with him. And, the, and to have abundant life now means that I can go through life and whatever trial comes into my life, whatever problem comes into my life, whatever catastrophe comes into my life, I can step back and say, God, I know you're there and I trust you. And I have peace. Knowing God, I don't understand, but you do. And you know, it's an interesting thing. You know where in the Bible will you ever find where God ever asks us to understand anything? He just simply says, trust me. That's faith, by the way. We see that we're made alive and we have peace with God. Here is the application of all this, and it's very simple. Self-examination. Are you truly saved? Are you truly saved? Has the Holy Spirit of God made you alive in Christ so that your thinking, your state, your present condition are changed? I, I have, you know, I grew up in a different denomination that was very legalistic and taught that if you're saved, you won't do the, all these things. And if you save, you'll do all these things. And if you don't do these and you do do these and you must not be saved. Now, I got news for you. I'm a sinner. I still sin every day. But the Bible makes a clear distinction between those who sin and those who live in sin. If sin is a daily practice in my life, if I have sinful habits that I make excuses for, if I have sinful habits that I try to ignore, that's a pretty good indication I need to look and see where my heart is. 
But I want to tell you, I got off what I was saying. In that denomination, they had all these different things that said, you know, if you do this, then that's evidence that you're saved. I want to tell you, folks, what the Bible says is the evidence you're saved, your life will change. That's the evidence. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old one's gone. Paul has already talked about how that old man has died. And now we live a new life in Christ. Don't let this matter rest until you know for sure this morning whether you are in Christ. To you who are believers, are you actively pursuing holiness? Is it intentional in your life to seek to transform uh, the transforming power of the Spirit of God in your mind? Are you, are you doing this every day? You know, when Tim preached last Sunday on, on Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, look, I appeal to you because of the mercy of God. And if you're saved, you have received God's mercy. And Paul says, because of that, the only thing you can do, your reasonable worship is to present yourself a living sacrifice to God. That's not a one-time act. That's an every single day thing. Every day, dying to self, picking up my cross and following Christ, being dead to this world. And if you're alive to Christ, you must be dead to the world. You can't be both. You can't be alive here and alive here too. You know, that's like Lazarus standing outside the tomb while Jesus is talking, calling him out. He couldn't do both. He had to be inside. And you know, here's an interesting thing. <clears throat> Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus comes. Martha says, Lord, if you'd only been here. He says, Martha, don't worry. I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, move the stone. They all protested. It's going to stink when you move. He said, just move the stone and trust me. Lazarus, come out. By the way, you know why he called him by name? Because if he hadn't, every grave within the sound of his voice would have opened. But he said, Lazarus, come out. You know what Lazarus did? He got up and walked out. He was dressed in grave clothes like a mummy. And we often miss what Jesus says next. Loose him and set him free. Take the grave clothes off. I want to tell you, folks, there are many believers today, true believers who are walking around still wearing your grave clothes. And all you got to do is take them off and begin to pursue holiness, daily denying yourself. Paul says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Don't be deceived into thinking that because you go to church, because you're a church member, because you've been baptized, because you own a Bible, that you're saved. Because none of those things make you saved. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, there's a Big word right there. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, one thing I love about these verses right here is it equates the Spirit of God with the Spirit of Christ, which makes Jesus God. But you see what Paul is saying here? He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if... 
the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if I, here's, here's the thing, you look at your life, I look at my life, and I wonder, where does my mind set? How do I feel about sin? Do I hate my sin? Do I excuse my sin? Do I love my sin? And Paul says, but you're in the Spirit, but only if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if he doesn't, he said you're not saved. That's what he means when he says uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul says, whoever, Paul's saying right there, if you don't have that, you're not saved. Just that simple. But he says, if you have that, it will be evident in your life. You will walk this way. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Our bodies are decaying. In another place, Paul said it this way. He said, though our outward man perishes, our inward man is renewed day by day. You see, this body's dying. I'm finding out as I get older that it aches and it hurts more and more. How many of you remember that old song, This Old House? Yeah. This old house lets the wind in and, you know, the windows are broken. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. It's, it's the natural consequence of our sin that our bodies begin to decay and die. You realize that when God created Adam, he didn't create him to die. He never intended for Adam and Eve to die. But when sin entered the picture, what happened? Well, the day that you sin, you will surely die. And that's what happened, and that's what continues to happen. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, when Paul says because of righteousness, we have to remember, who is our righteousness? We don't have any. Christ. All my righteousness is like filthy rags to God. But Paul says... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. I believe you could read that this way. The Spirit is life because of Christ. Because He is our righteousness. And He said, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. One of these days, this body is going to come to a point. If the Lord doesn't come first, this body's going to come to a point where it's going to give up and it's going to quit. I'm going to stop breathing. But I want to tell you something, folks. And, and I, I pray that I'm preaching when that happens. <laughs> if this body were to stop right now and I breathe my last breath and this body falls to the ground, and you tell people, Pastor Bobby is dead, you'll be a liar. I'll be more alive than ever. But I want to tell you something. That body, take good care of it. I know, Cindy, she'll probably want to have stuff to set it on the front door. <laughs> Listen, there's going to come a day, as Jesus said, when all who are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth. One day I will hear Bobby come forth. And that's what Paul's talking about. The spirit, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. That's the key right there. It all goes back to verse 1 in 
Christ. I cannot stress that enough. I know I say that every single Sunday, but it's so important because we cannot be deceived into thinking that we are right with God as long as we are anywhere but in Christ. Let's pray. Father, oh God, as we come to you this morning, we, we thank you, Father. Thank you for though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you have made us alive in Christ. And Father, I pray for all those that are listening. Within the sound of my voice, Father, that we might do some self-examination. See whether we truly are in Christ. Whether we have truly repented of our sin. Truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Him alone for salvation. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us that are saved. Father, I pray that the one here that does not have a love of holiness, does not have a desire to know you better and more, does not have a desire to please you, that they may recognize this morning their lost condition without Christ, that they may believe. Father, thank you for doing what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending your Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to bear the sin of his people. Father, thank you that because of our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that there is no condemnation, that we have life and we have peace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand turn page 175. Stand on the promises.